Welcome to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast, where your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak, help you go next level with your practice, leveraging the four pillars that make a practice bulletproof. Vision, building a dream team, marketing ninja, and financial freedom. Now, let's get into it. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Craig Spodak, along with my good buddy, Dr. Peter Bolden. What's up? And then we up? also have a good friend of ours that we're excited to have back on the podcast, Brian Coleo from DicomaDSO.com, Dicoma Law Firm. Um, Brian, we're happy to have you here. I'm going to tell, brag about you just for a second. You're a big deal in the DSO space. We've heard you speak several times, and we ran into you at the Voices of Dentistry with um, our buddy Alan Mead from the Dental Hacks Nation, and he heard us talking in the feverish pitch we were talking with and decided to record it, and everybody loved that podcast. So welcome back to our uh, own podcast here. I remember that one. That was a spirited discussion under the influence of many spirits, if I remember yes. correctly. Yeah, it but was, it was, it was poor, Alan, poor Alan had to uh, literally edit, edit that podcast, and it was beep, 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 cuss, beep, beep, cuss. <laughs> yeah, so, but our podcast typically contains some degree of uh, – Hey, it's a, spirited, it's a spirited subject. It's a serious stuff, buddy. I mean, yeah, it, it is. It is. Well, hopefully we can have a discussion today uh, without the spirits, unfortunately, but hopefully it will be just as much fun. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, listen, we're passionate about dentistry. I know you are as well. And when we talk about the future of our profession, um, it definitely deserves an occasional F-bomb, I think, because we got to, everybody's really excited about what's going to happen. Some people are scared, some people are optimistic, but definitely we can all agree, no matter where you land, that things are changing very, very quickly, right? Yeah, I mean, we are apart right now. Dentistry is undergoing the great evolution and the great consolidation. The great evolution, of course, is the evolution from solo practices to group practices to DSOs, and then the consolidation is, you know, private equity and other non-dentist investors are buying up, you know, all of the offices and all of the practices. So there's a great consolidation going on along with the great evolution. Yeah, and that's just from the ownership, corporate, outward-facing component. But there's, as Pete and I are always discussing, there's massive disruption internally technology, specialty, um, it, it, the business side and the way it faces the patient is so different, even for us dentists, digital dentistry, digital dentures, printing dentures versus this archaic uh, acrylic yeah, method. Everything 3D printed in space and surgical and it's it, it, the whole space, the space is being disrupted, like you're saying, Craig, from well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I talk about, you know, obviously uh, DSOs and legal structure and great evolution to DSOs and consolidation, but you're right. I mean, you know, it used to be you sent your stuff to the lab, it came back in three weeks, then they had the CIRAC machine and they could maybe do it in one day. Now you got all this 3D printing stuff where, you know, you, you don't have to do intrusive impressions and other things to get the same results. I mean, very exciting time all across the board to be in dentistry. Exciting or scary, like Craig's saying, though, like some people, like you see the excitement because you're dealing with groups who are excited to kind of form these DSOs, but for, for sometimes for solo practitioners, it's a scary place from the consolidation standpoint and the technology. So I think that's a good place to kind of dive into. Yeah, and they all feed each other too, by the way. Everything feeds each other. So what's feeding your DSO uh, business and, and the people, you know, lining up to hear you speak 
is all the factors that we're talking about. Patients are demanding convenience and accessibility through financing and expanded hours, multiple locations, all services done under one roof. And dentists, by and large, can't get their act together to put that all together. So DSOs are good at that. Big, mm-hmm. Bigger corporations are good at that. They're investing tons of money in CE and training. And, and that's fueling the whole vertical chain here, which is interesting. You know, our goal, our goal though, because you're right, there is a lot of fear out there, and I don't think it has to be that way. You know, our goal is to be like, I, I think, a weather satellite. Remember when people set off on ships and all they had was a compass and they were like, you know, don't know what's going to get us out there, you know, let's say mm-hmm. a prayer and hope for the best. But that now that you have a weather, weather satellite and GPS navigation, you kind of know what's out there, you know, 99% of the time. And if there's a storm, you can steer around it. You kind of know what's going to happen. So a big part of this is just a lack of information. And what I aspire to do in our group, our, our in- industry leading DSO group tries to do is try to make sure everybody's armed with all the information. So yes, the marketplace, is rapidly changing, but if you can understand what the change is, why it's happening, and what your legal options are to maximize the value of your dental organization, you don't got to be scared. I mean, it's like when the Carnival cruise ship heads out, they got GPS and weather satellites. They're really not that scared about it anymore. So that's kind of what our goal is. Instead of um, uh, making the dentist sail out in a sailboat or something, we say we're going to be more like the cruise ship with the GPS and the weather satellite. Because once you understand what's going on, what you really learn is it's a great time to be in dentistry. I mean, if Mm -hmm. you've built a dental organization, whether it's a single office or multiple offices, you've got a lot of very lucrative opportunities right now. And, um, you know, it's the sort of thing that it's very excited to be a part of versus afraid. Yeah, I feel like right now, Pete and I are talking about this, I feel like it's a dental gold rush. So the guy, you know, the, the prospectors weren't the ones who got richest in the gold rush, by the way, it's the people that sold the accessories, the picks, the shovels, and the hotel rooms. And the blue jeans. And the what? And the blue jeans, blue exactly, jeans. yeah. yeah get little, well, you know, there's a place for everybody right now, guys. I mean, that's absolutely right. I mean, obviously, there is a very lucrative spot for the dentists that are, you know, in a, in a position to take some money off the table with their practices or organizations, but you're right. The ancillary players as well that, you know, figuratively sell the blue jeans, sell the picks, sell the axes. They can, they have a tremendous opportunity in front of them as well. And all this technology, we started the discussion talking about these scanners and uh, 3d printers. I mean, it's a tremendous opportunity all across the board. Yeah, for sure. I want to just dive right in because I, I, I know last time we had a really good discussion about, um, how, you know, in order to be viable and to extract the most amount of revenue from your practice, your belief is that we have to have a DSO because it opens up the sellability to everyone and not just the dentist. I mean, that was a fundamental premise. One thing that he said, and I remember from that was the marketplace becomes the world. And that's kind of resonated with me. Right. Yeah, no, and guys, that hasn't changed since the last time we discussed and your memory is very good. I mean, if you don't, uh, convert to a DSO, you and your dentist, your marketplace is other licensed dentists in that state where you reside. If you convert to a DSO or reorganize to a DSO, the marketplace is the world. Any investor can walk up and buy and they will and they'll bid on your practice and you can entertain, you know, often competing bids and take the, you know, take the, the highest isn't necessarily always the best. I say that, but right. with the caveat to take the best offer for you, sometimes that's the highest, sometimes there's other, you know, advantages to it, but you take the best offer that that's available to you. 
Hey, Brian, let me just jump right in. Why couldn't we, um, why couldn't we entertain those offers? Because I get these, you know, we, at this point, most dentists are getting letters all the time. Like, Hey, we're interested in buying your business and blah, 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 blah. What's wrong with at that point converting into a DSO at that level? Why do you need the DSO today? Even though selling might not be for five or 10 years. It depends on what your organization is to answer that question. If you're a solo practice and you're not going to sell for five or 10 years, um, now I always say keep an open mind because the offers out there are eye-popping in some cases. So, you know, you might think it's five to 10 years and then it might be like two weeks or something. But um, if you're a solo office, you don't need to necessarily be a DSO. If that's all you're aspiring to be is I'm building a solo practice and someday I'm going to sell it or I'm going to keep it for a while. You don't need to be a DSO. But those that are actually growing their organization to several practices, you know, you are doing yourself a tremendous disservice if you don't reorganize as a DSO, you know, as soon as practical, because one, you're going to get probably under this tax code an enhanced tax benefit. Two, you're going to have the, you know, a solid succession plan in place. If something were to happen to the owner, dentist, you know, died, became disabled, lost their dental license, there would be, um, you know, options to transition uh, the practice without losing uh, any of its value. And then, of course, that's the structure you have to be in to roll it up and sell it. And what I tell people is if you've got a regulatory compliant DSO already in existence, you're going to save yourself a lot of time and trouble when people walk up and try to, um, you know, acquire it, you know, versus if you're not in a DSO structure, the buyer is going to dictate the terms under which, you know, your organization has to be structured going forward. And I think it's important to folks, uh, entrepreneurs that built their own organization, that they maintain, you know, control over their structure in the future. And the best way to do it is to create your own DSO and not wait for a buyer to come up and dictate all these terms to you. I want to talk about the tax thing because you touched on it. Pete, I'm sorry. I I, I hope I'm not jumping in too much. Just give me a hand signal. Um, The tax thing that you just said that there might be favorable tax treatment. I'm hearing that there's not. Has something changed since... uh, I'm hearing that, you know, I understand dentists are service providers and we're subject to the regular taxation, but as a DSO, you're proposing that we're a different classification of business. We may be subject to better. What are you seeing on the front? Because I've talked to dental CPAs that are not agreeing with that. They're saying that we're going to Yeah, still- over three, you know, most of the DSO specific uh, CPAs that we work with, and they're ones that understand this space. They're not necessarily dental CPAs, they're DSO CPAs. They say that after three offices, you're going to see generally, you know, obviously, I have to give the caveat here, you got to check with your tax situation, you know, your own tax lawyer for your own situation or your own tax accountant for your own situation. But typically above three offices, you are going to see a more favorable tax treatment under the new code. I mean, that's the feedback I'm getting from the DSO specific uh, CPAs that we're talking to. Got it. Got it. Um, yeah, so so I want to jump in because Pete and I were talking about this before. We, we want to create some different level of content here. And what our questions for you were, you know, we're, we're very curious about the disruption on specialty. Are you seeing, do a lot of specialists call you, Brian, and say, hey, we're, we've got three oral surgery practices. We want to we start our own oral surgery DSO or endodontic or, or, or orthodontic DSO. Are you seeing that right now? Yes, I am. Um, I've been involved 
in um, representing a couple specialty DSOs that have been acquiring practices and also representing a lot of sellers, a lot of dentists that are selling out to specialty DSOs in uh, implants, in one-day dentures, in um, uh, yeah, that's, that's endodontics, in yes. oral surgery. Are you seeing just so like I, I look at like a one day dental implant center as a retail facing establishment. I think what we were trying to say is, do you see like the average oral surgery practice that's referral dependent from the dentist referrals coming together and, and, and not doing uh, and they're not doing any general dentistry. They're actually just marketing to, to general dentists. Do you see them rolling up into DSOs as well? What yeah, I mean, I've seen s several, uh, in particular, there's um, an oral surgery DSO that I do some work with that is buying up uh, oral surgery practices. Um, they're the, they're going to actually be at our industry-leading DSO conference. There's one for endodontists that's creating an endodontic DSO that's buying up endodontic practices. So I, I have uh, very much seen that. And I know right, let, me, let me take that one step further. Are you seeing specialists buying D, uh, GP practices? Well, I rec I've seen a little bit of that. The way it typically works is very effective GP DSOs buy up specialty practices yeah. Yeah. so that they have a ready-made referral source. In other words, if you've got a DSO, and I've, I've done this much more than the other situation you've described, where let's say I represent a middle market DSO that's got 10 or 15 offices and you know they want to have a dedicated oral surgery practice or a dedicated orthodontic practice or endodontic practice, they'll buy up that practice sort of equidistant to a lot of their offices and they'll refer everything into that office. And I've seen that very effectively executed. I have mm. seen a couple situations, but not nearly as prevalent where the specialists get together and say, let's buy up some GP practices. So in effect, we can buy up a referral source for our practices. I have seen that to a much lesser extent. The much greater extent is the GP organizations buying up the specialty practice. Yeah, so it puts the GPs back in the driver's seat, which is interesting. But also, have you also, because I know you just don't roll up DSOs, you do transactions as well. Have you seen a large transaction or a high EBITDA or a high valuation transaction where some corporation is buying um, a, a, a DS, a, an oral surgery DSO or a perio DSO? Have you seen that? Have you seen valuation? Yes. Really? Yes, I have. Wow. And I've seen it. I, I've seen them at double digit multiples too. So tell me about without disclosing, cause we won't ask you to do that, but what was the, what was the practice? What was it like? It was a pure specialty play or was it like a denture dental center? No, it was not a denture dental center. It was a specialty play because, you know, for example, with respect to oral surgery, there's a great need for or oral surgery. It's just a question of how are we going to deliver that care to the patient? Are we going to deliver it in the traditional locally owned, you know, siloed oral surgery office or are we going to do it in a more DSO centric way? And the play that we have right now, in particular, there's a DSO that's buying up oral surgery practices. And uh, basically, um, you know, they're, they're going to probably string together, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 uh, oral surgery offices. Seems so like a great idea to me. So, yeah, it is. But it, it actually speaks to the point that, that we're, trying to, we're trying to understand if the viability of the solo specialist 
is still there or if the market is reacting. So I actually see, I, I hear what you're saying, and I think, Peter, you understand as well, but the context of what's pr- trying to be done is that the DSO is trying to make it more convenient, saying, hey, single oral surgery practice, you're, you're, not, really the mar- you're not really fitting into the market well. So we're going to help you fit into our market better by, by aggregating by aggregating and to a, criti- to a critical mass where they're a lot more not siloed so much. Right. So it speaks to this idea that that specialty solo siloed specialist is a more challenging way. The patient doesn't want to have to go through multiple hoops to get to them, I think is what you're, what we're trying to arrive at. Well, that's one thing. I mean, certainly that's one thing. The other thing that I think is bigger than that. Okay. Right. You, you know, the first point is it's good for the consumer. It makes it easier, more convenient for the patient. But the, the other point, I think, is um, as the whole market starts to consolidate to DSOs, uh, strictly referral-based specialists, and it could be an orthodontist, it could be an oral surgeon, it could be a prosthodontist, an endodontist, they're going to start to lose market share because when it was all a, a universe of solo practitioners, you could forge relationships with them and they would send you orthodontic work or they would send you endodontics or oral surgery. And it was a nice relationship. But when the GP practices get consolidated with DSOs, they're either going to keep that work in-house or they're going to send it to their own captive specialist. So those uh, referrals over time, I believe, are going to dry up. You know, when we do this, I don't want to tell any specialist, you know, you're going out of business in the next year or something. Of course not. And I'm not here to scare anybody. But over time, meaning the next 5, 10 15 years, I think the referrals are going to dry up or or they're going to be reduced because as the DSOs consolidate more practices, they're going to keep more and more of that specialty work in-house or at their own captive organization. That's exactly what we're, I mean, that's exactly the kind of the genesis of that whole, that whole questioning we were, we were trying to get at. Well, the other thing, Pete. And that's what the issue is. I mean, obviously the, the issue is if you can't beat them, you have to join them. Right. I mean, I mean, sure. It's more convenient for the patient. And I think a patient might appreciate that a little more, but that's not necessarily the most pressing issue. The most pressing issue with me is if you can't beat them, you better join them. And if you, if you get a part of your own, you know, DSO organization, then you can secure for the future, your own referral source. Yep. And now let's face it too, with GPs getting higher education and more training, the specialists are not, the specialists are getting the really, really hard stuff. And the technology, you know, equal, you know, equalizing that stuff where things used to be, what we were talking about, Brian, before, sometimes I know we're talking clinical, but we talked about how we think a lot more referrals will be sent out, not only just the consolidation standpoint, but just from the rise of the GP being able to technologically handle more and more cases. Well, look at the barrier to orthodontics. Like, you know, for all intents and purposes, I function as like my primary thing I do in my practice is orthodontics through Invisalign. So when I was at school at Tufts and, you know, I graduated in 1998, in order to get like my first foray into orthodontics was I had to bend my name and wire and it has to lay completely flat on a glass block. So essentially, I took a paper clip, a long paper clip, and had to bend my name in it. If I can't do that, then I'm not going to be a good orthodontist, or I can't have that training. Mm. The meritocracy, the great equalizers, now you have a company like Invisalign that can predictably move your teeth, and you can just drag on where you want the tooth with their ClinCheck software. Like, I don't have to describe proclination, retrocline. I don't have to do that. 
You know, I can actually just drag where I want the teeth, you know, based on where I see the x-rays and the photos and stuff like that. And now I can do that. Or you get a guy coming out of periodontal um, residency and he's probably placed what, Pete? Like maybe 50 dental implants or That'd if that. But who knows if he was te- taught guided uh, implant surgery. So now you can have a young buck that came out of school five years ago and knows how to do the digital planning. He can have the tooth and the stent and the implant all in one box before the patient shows up. So you know, a- it's really interesting situation now, right? For mild to moderate malocclusion and for some of the mild implant cases you're talking about, the technology has gotten so advanced that they can, you know, build these aligners, you know, to, you know that, that make it, you know, feasible for a general dentist to do what a specialist used to do. And even with the implants, they can tell you right where you're supposed to drill, right where you're supposed to put the abutments exactly. in. But, yeah. you know, the question that I would ask, I mean, and I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but it's an interesting question. It's just like, you know, um, it, when, you're, when you're driving on the, you know, when you're driving a boat, I use my analogy, on the high seas, you know, in this day and age of navigation and other things, you know, I don't, I, I, I get in a boat once a year probably around here. So I don't know anything about it, but there is some boats that are so technologically advanced that I could, you know, easily drive them around as long as all the technology works. But if everything breaks down, I'm going to literally be dead in the water. And the, the only question that I come up with is, you know, particularly in the surgery cases, you know, I'm less concerned with any of the aligners or anything like that. But with, but with the, um, you know, implants and other things, if there's a problem or something goes wrong with the technology, obviously the specialists, are better suited just like if you had a Navy SEAL in my boat and somehow yeah. the navigation broke, I think that Navy SEAL is going to get you back anyway. He'll figure it out. But if, if it's me, you know, we're calling the Coast Guard or something. And that's the interesting question right now for the consumer. You know, do you want to have a specialist, even though the technology has gotten so advanced that they're not necessarily required and maybe um, the GP can do it at a price point that's a lot more affordable to a lot more people with the understanding that if there's complications, you know, it's going to end up right back to the specialist anyway. So it's a real interesting time right now in dentistry. And I don't have an opinion. I I don't lean one way or the other. I'm just identifying the, the technology has gotten so advanced. It's real interesting. What I do know is it's providing access to, you know, to specialized procedures at price points that were never achievable before. And I think right. on the whole, that's very, very good for the public. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of patients that can really uh, benefit from this. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Craig Spodak from the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. And I am super fired up to talk to you guys about our summit happening October 12th and 13th at the beautiful St. Regis Hotel in Atlanta. This is the opportunity to learn everything we've accumulated over the last 20 years of dentistry and business management. We're leaving it all on the table. There's nothing to sign up for afterwards. This is just two days of intense learning and mastermind sessions. We strongly encourage you to bring someone in your office that's a stakeholder, not just an employee, but someone that's actually following you and treats your business as their own. Because if you come back from this thing all fired up and you don't have your first follower or someone to help implement, it's gonna be very difficult. So once again, October 12th and 13th at the beautiful St. Regis Hotel in Atlanta. Registration is filling up very, very quickly and the tickets are almost sold out. So go to Bulletproof dentalpractice.com 
forward slash summit and reserve your spot today. See you soon, people. Brian, let's pivot on that because I don't want to keep you in the wheelhouse of clinical stuff because obviously, you know, your strength is in. But you did do really well, Brian. You I did. Well, look, I, I, I know more about this stuff than I ever. Yes, I am a lawyer to anybody listening. Don't take any clinical advice from me. But I will say I do know more about this than I ever thought when I graduated law school I would ever know about. I love it. I love it. So, Brian, there's a, there's a lot of FOMO going on. You know what FOMO is, right? Yep. Okay. Well, some people, I, I say that, I use that word, and then some people look at me sideways like, what is that? So, you know, there's this big fear of missing out in this, in this DSO buy-up, right? There's almost this panic. And, and what I hear most from dentists, and I, you know, I go to these, you know, entrepreneurial dental, you know, conferences and talk with entrepreneurial dentists. And I, I think there's this, even for the single practitioner, I should say, there's this fear that there's not going to be a chair left, that things are going to dry up and I'm going to be the only one left with a chair. So I better pull trigger now. And yeah, the music's going to stop and you're exactly. not going to have a chair. Exactly. That's, like, uh, you know, that's the pervasive fear. Yeah. Well, that, that's an unfounded fear right now. Okay. Right. If I'm lucky enough to be on your show five years from now or something, you know, we could be having a potentially different conversation, but you know, right now that's not a, a particularly, you know, uh, legitimate fear because, um, you know, this uh, massive consolidation has got a lot of legs to it. I mean, I think there's no question. I mean, there's almost, you know, unanimity among the commentators that look at this for at least the next three, four, five years. You know, this, this um, consolidation is going to continue unabated. I mean, over here, you know, buying and selling things, we've had three consecutive record quarters just at my law firm in terms of the volume of these things going up. So I, I don't see an end to this, at least in the, if you're looking at a three, four, five year horizon. Now, after five, 10 years, it's possible, you know, the marketplace could change in some ways. And maybe some of the opportunities that are available today may not be there. I mean, there are some oversized multiples. Now, it all depends on your perspective. I mean, I look at them and I think they're eye-popping numbers to a dentist. The folks that paid the money certainly think it's a sound, good investment. I feel like over time, some of the extremely high multiples could possibly pull back, especially as the interest rates go up. And some right. folks that finance acquisitions, it's yeah, some folks that finance acquisitions as the interest rates go up, they're not going to be able to afford to pay quite as much because money is more expensive. So, you know, you may see a reduction in, in some of the really, really high multiples, but, you know, for ah. example, a six time multiple, which is a very common multiple that you'll see when a DSO buys, you know, a dental practice or some group practices. I think you're going to see that for a long time. You okay. know, a lot of the double digit stuff or even the mid to high double digit stuff, I think there's a pretty good chance that stuff will recede back to reality. But, you know, if you're looking for a six time multiple or a seven time multiple, I don't see that going anywhere for a while. So you see there being a correlation. Uh, this is an important question I've actually wanted to ask. I'm glad I have you on. So it, there is a correlation to interest rates and higher multiples, but also to the aggregate revenue of that, of that, let's say group being acquired by a, uh, by private equity. Right. So there's kind of two different things. Do you see, is there a correlation to both of those? Well, yeah. I mean, it depends on the nature of the transaction, right? Uh, you know, it's, it's funny, some of the smaller transactions may suffer more because 
some of the smaller transactions that are easy to finance. You know, mm -hmm. typically some of the investors will have a large, large credit facility and they're saying, well, you know, we have a credit facility of, I'm just making this up, but like $30 million and we're going to buy this one for 11 million. We're going to buy this one for 7 million, buy this one for 8 million, you know, because they're financing those and the cost of money goes up, probably the multiple they can afford to pay, you know, may go down. On other deals where it's primarily a cash deal, if you've got, you know, a big PE fund that's, you know, a multi-billion dollar fund walking up, assuming they're going to pay cash for some deals. And I've done a couple transactions like this fairly recently where they walked up and just paid cash for $200 million or $300 million. You know, you're less concerned with that if, if, if you're going to pay cash. And it's, it's more like what they call in the industry a big boy deal. You know, you're walking up with no financing and you're just putting all your money on the table. A deal like that um, is going to be less dependent on the interest rates than a deal that you're using a credit facility. Okay. And so I'm not asking you to prognosticate on this, but do you think that we've reached the apex in terms of this frothy valuations? Meaning you said, you, you said something earlier about, um, you know, eye popping offers and um, possibly, you know, contrast that with interest rates. Do you think we've reached the apex of, of a lot of these crazy multiples? It's it, it's hard to say. It, you know, it's like one of those like has the stock market bottomed out or yeah, topped out. Yeah. You know, the commentators will all have an opinion, but you know, very seldom are they right on. But you know, I, I feel like you may still see in select situations very high multiples for certain organizations that are doing really really well, particularly if there's an auction or a bidding process. But I think you know, seeing 14 or 15 on like a routine basis is going to be, it, I think it's going to become less common the next couple of years. I say that, of course, I have to balance it by there's tremendous demand. There are more private equity groups going into this space than ever before, and they are driving up the demand because uh, it, when we went, if we had this discussion 10 years ago, for example, I was doing deals 10, 15 years ago, you only had the biggest private equity firms in America going out and buying the biggest dental service organizations. Uh, now, you know, uh, well, first of all, that left hundreds of private equity funds that wanted to get in on the dental sector standing in the cold because there's only 10 or 15 big organizations and they only come up for sale every three to five years or more. Or, or more. So if you're not one of the lucky 15 to get those, you're standing in the cold. So there was a, a universe of a few hundred private equity firms that wanted to do a dental deal and only 15 big ones. So now there's more demand than ever because the PE firms are, are going down and doing what I call a grassroots or a minor league transaction. You know, they're going down to the ground floor and saying, hey, we'll invest in an operator that only has two or three offices with a goal towards growing it to 25 and then selling it, you know, for a much higher multiple. So the thing that tempers you know, my initial feeling that, you know, some of these higher multiples are not going to, are going to be less common is there is more demand than ever before, more participants, more funds that want to get in on it. And you get in on the dental space. And when they do that, it, it invariably drives up the price. You know, yeah. you got two or three people in interested, you know, it's not that much demand. demand. You right. got hundreds. I mean, I saw a deal you know, obviously not going to get into specifics, but I've recently heard of a 17 multiple deal. I, I, I'm not going to say anything besides that, but, but right as I, but right as I told everybody, you know, Hey, I don't think we're going to see this. Literally. I had an, I had a meeting uh, last week 
about a potential 17 multiple transaction. So there it is right in front of you. I know, you but know? just so, because it's happening though, just because it's happening does not mean it's a good idea. So yes, we're all seeing, you know, these deals and like, oh, wow, I guess, wow, what, this is the new future. But, you know, there are articles being written right now that show PE, not just in dentistry, but global PE valuations are off the freaking charts. We have a dental organization, PETA. I didn't know if you were looking at me to say this or not. But what's that? We won't name the name, but there was an article just written about a dental organization. And what is their debt? They're seven and a half, 7.8 times debt. EBITDA, 7.8 times. Their debt service is 7.8 times EBITDA. Their debt service is 7.8 times EBITDA. That's really high. Right? And it's the largest one. Well, it's well, we don't want to say name names, but you can you can research these these articles are coming across the general public now. They're not even industry specific. So when you pump in like dental group practice, you're pulling up national news public publications now. That's right. No, I mean, I mean, this has definitely hit the attention of the national media. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was an article on, um, you know. There was an but, but, but hold on. So Brian, at that scale, when the debt rise, like that becomes almost like a junk bond when, when the, when that, when the debt is so highly leveraged, right? Well, like, I mean so- the risk, what you're saying is the risk is, you know, is there some bubble going on? I mean that, you know, it's, it's like real estate, right? You look at some neighborhoods, you know, in, in, in particular, um, and you know, something that, you know, say 10 years ago, somebody would say, Oh, that's a nice, you know, starter house for somebody, you know, that should go for, uh, I'm just making this up, you know, 175 grand, you know, it's just a small little modest thing, you know, you're going to have to do work on it, you know, whatever. And now you walk up and it's $450,000 just because it's the right location and there's tremendous demand and everything else. I mean, you might look at that and say, oh my God, how, why would anybody pay 450,000 for this thing that should have went for 175 because there's tremendous demand and there's no inventory. And look, you got a lot got of it. that is, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that, that, that describes in, in, at least in, 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 in pertinent part or in some part, the dental industry right now, there's, you know, there is a lot more demand than there is inventory right now. Uh, the dental industry is recession proof largely. That's what the studies have said. It, it thrived even during the great recession or Great Depression, whatever they called that, 2006, 2007, yeah, 2008. Yeah. This was a Great Recession or the Great Depression. It, it, it thrived, continued to thrive during that uh, dismal period of time for a lot of other business. So, you know, it's hard, at least the perception is, it's hard to lose. Like, you know, even if it doesn't go perfect, well, fine. You'll sell right. it in seven years instead of three or four, but you're basically going to make a nice return on it. And that's kind of what the school of thought is. And I've talked to a lot of PE guys, and they tell me that. They say, you know, yeah. even if it doesn't turn into a grand slam home run, we're going to get a double off it. I mean, we're going to do okay. Our investors will be happy enough. And it's just, you know, while I would never feel comfortable calling anything a sure thing, it's kind of pretty close. You know, it's as close as we can reasonably discuss as a very, very safe investment to perform. Okay. So I want to just point out, Bloomberg wrote an article last week, and Stephen Thorne, who's the CEO of Pacific Dental Services, was quoted, quote, it feels a bit like a gold rush. Some of these private equity companies think the business is easier than it really is. So you've got, and then also Steve Thorne is the founder and CEO of Pacific Dental, which has 600 practices. And he says, you know, he's saying, if there's a slowdown in the economy or change in the regulatory environment, 
who knows what could happen. That could be difficult to meet those debt requirements. So you got, I understand the real estate analogy, but you've got seasoned guys like a Stephen Thorne. I don't know if he has an ax to grind or what have you, but he, if he's saying that, if he's saying it's a gold rush, how are we not paying attention to him? He's the guy with 600 practices. Well, it just depends on your perspective on the whole thing, right? He, he has a specific perspective from his vantage point in the industry of having, you know, 600 affiliated offices and one of the largest DSOs in America. You know, there are other vantage points, you know. Um, you know, the, the fact is, I mean, and I don't think what he said is very different from what I just said a few minutes ago. There is somewhat of a goal. I mean, there is, right. you know, low inventory and record demand for this stuff. And because there's low inventory and record demand, the prices are going to be driven up. Now, it sounds like his point is, yeah, but not everybody knows what they're doing. And if you make this investment and things start going wrong, it might not turn out the way, you know, you plan, particularly if there's a regulatory issue that comes up or if there's another recession and, you know, you've got to be a really good operator to continue to thrive in a recession. I mean, that's the point. And, I, you know, I, I don't disagree with that point, but certainly that type of fear has not slowed down the demand for the marketplace right now. It's I mean, the demand the, to get into the dental space. I think it's just the debt is, is, um, is, incre is incredible, you know, debt of 7.4 times earnings before, you know, before he would, uh, well, I, just, it, I don't know. I mean, I, I, we're, we're going in circles here. The, the la the, I just want to point out that I, I, I don't want the average practitioner that's listening to our podcast to say that, that FOMO, that fear of missing out, like I better do something now. This money's not going to be around long. Uh, you know, I, 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 and I, I, but I do believe the cycle, the, if there is irrational exuberance, if there is more money that's around for access to these types of things, I think with the market correction, it probably will dry up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, but I mean, this is what I would say to that, okay? There will be an opportunity if you have a profitable organization, okay? Right now, everything's selling. Distressed assets, bankrupt, we do receivership sales. I mean, it seems like there's virtually nothing that won't sell. Obviously, if there's a recession, that might not be the case. But if you have a profitable dental organization, I think you're always going to be able, when I say always for the foreseeable future, 10 years or more, going to be able to get what I would say, you know, a reasonable return on it of some kind. But yeah, I mean, some of the money that is reflective of the gold rush, some of the oversized multiples, I think it's very possible that they could go away. Okay. All right. But, but, I, but, but to your fear of missing out, I mean, you know, if, if we were here 10 years ago and you could sell your dental practice for, say, six times or five times, people would have been jumping for joy 10 years ago. Now, you're right. We get some folks that are bought into the current marketplace and they say, you know, six times is unsatisfactory. I want 12 times. And that's just not going to be realistic for everybody. And I think, you know, what I would tell folks at least it's what I spend a lot of my time sometimes talking to my clients about is, you know, don't sell just for the fear of missing out. Like you're saying, sell when it's the right time for you. Yeah. I mean, it's a very complicated discussion. You got to look at your age. You got to look at your situation. You do have to look at the multiple. You got to look at the price. What are you going to do afterwards? And if all of these things, you know, and you can get you, we have financial planners and accountants and lawyers that can counsel you on these things. But if all of these moving parts, fall into place and you know it, it's the right time to sell tomorrow then let's go ahead and sell but if they don't fall into place I don't think anybody needs to you know go rushing around 
to sell just for the sake of selling or for the fear of missing out. Agreed. I think that's, that's good advice. Brian, while we've got you, you mind if I ask you a couple of, I'm going to pivot here just because I want to get as much sure. value to the listenership as possible. So what's the typical cost to establish a deal? So obviously we see the value in it um, as, as all the aforementioned, but like typically what's the cost that your, that your firm charges? Yeah. I mean, I mean, for an organization under, you know, five offices, typically in the 20 to $25,000 range is what you'll okay. see. Uh, okay. That's, you know, like that's not, you know, a hundred dollars, but it's, it's not unreachable either. And I think if, when if, you look at the value, sorry, go ahead. Keep going. When you look at the I value. No, I, I was going to say, I, I think the value proposition is there is all I was. I don't want to sound defensive yeah. about the fee, but I think the value proposition is there. We wouldn't charge that if the value proposition wasn't there. So, and then also, do you ever um, get in situations where let's say someone has a DSO that wasn't formed by you by, let's just talk, say they're uh, their lawyer, their just general lawyer or their practice lawyer that they've used, if, if it was formed, do you help do you help restructure or do you have to clean slate? Something like that. I know we do that all question. the time. I'm asking that's for a, a great friend. question. It's a great question. We do that all the time. And you know, it's a case by case situation as to whether, you know, we have to just, you know, start from scratch or whether we can salvage what is in place. Um, you know, I, I know that it's very unpopular and it's not lost on me to tell, you know, a dentist, like, you know, I know you paid this other law firm that mm -hmm. was not specialized in the DSO space to put this together. And I know you paid real of your hard earned money to them, but that was all wasted and we have to start over. I mean, that's not a good thing to have to tell people. Right. So, you know, we try if possible to, you know, to clean it up and work with what they've set up. And we have a pretty good track record. I mean, I would say one out of 10 times or two out of 10 times, you know, we, we have to say this is so bad, we're really better off oh, just okay. starting over. But eight out of 10 times, we can go in and, and, you know, make necessary changes short of just scrapping the whole thing. So it ends up being, you know, it's a shame that they have to pay some money twice, but it ends up not being, you know, a devastating situation. It ends up being an affordable way to kind of straighten everything out. Um, okay, that's good. Thanks for that answer. It, I'm going to also ask another question. Does Dykema ever act as kind of a... a um not a, I don't want to use the word broker, Brian, but you have access to both sides, meaning you you have a bunch of PE guys that call you looking for opportunities, and then you have a bunch of dentists that are forming DSOs from the, from the you know, for the future. So do you guys ever serve as the conduit? Yeah, I mean, that's another great question. And, you know, uh, I was joking with some of my colleagues last week, I need to find a way to charge iBanking fees because I end up making some very valuable introductions. And, uh, you know, right now we're not an iBanking firm. So if, you know, you come in contact with me and I know the right person for you to call, you know, hopefully I'll do some legal work along the way and it'll be, you know, still I'll do, you know, be a decent arrangement for me. But no, I mean, we don't charge any commissions or any percent of everything. But as you point out, we do know everybody over here. Right. I do. Uh, what I tell people usually is, you know, uh, so, you know, if you want to maximize the value of your organization, and this is not for this is not for everybody, because some people like, you know, if, if I can get you an answer that's 85% correct, that's good enough for a lot of people, right? But you know, but um, if you want to maximize the value of your organization, so you know, with 100% certainty, what the value is, you got to hire an iBanker and you got to run a process. And there's a lot of middle market iBankers that we work with that, you know, can definitely for a small organization, you know, they're priced appropriately, help you kind of do that. Now you do have to pay a commission 
if you do that, uh, sometimes if folks, you know, call us up and we can make some decent introductions, we can get them the 85% answer, meaning I'm not 100% sure if this is the highest price you can get, but this is a price that sounds like you're happy with and it came from one of our informal introductions. So, you know, you're not going to have to pay any commission or any fee on it. And a lot of times people are very happy with that. But, you know, obviously, you know, calling us and just making what I call informal introductions is not the same as a full-blown yeah. formal process. But for a lot of people, you know, when they weigh, you know, what's the commission I'll have to pay, how long will it take versus, I mean, I've had a couple situations where somebody called me and I was very upfront. I said, look, I'm delighted to make a few introductions, but understand this is by no means, you know, a pronouncement of what the ultimate value of your organization might be. The only way to get to that is a full blown process. But look, let's, let's make a couple, you know, a couple introductions here. And I do. And somebody calls them and somebody says, maybe they'll talk to two or three people. And somebody says, Hey, I want to do this deal in the next 45 days and I'm going to pay X, Y, Z. And they look at that and they're like, well, Brian, to be done with this in 45 days and get this multiple that I'm you know, reasonably happy with, could I get a higher one? Maybe, but there's no brain damage. This whole thing is going to be done in 45 days and this is what I'm going to get. So that's what you have to weigh. You know, yeah, is, is it like, better to do? There's value to be looping in. I know you said about the 25,000 and saying like, oh, maybe people get sticker shock from that, but there's a lot of value in just what you said of being looped into your ecosystem, you know, like, yes, that's not what you're paying for technically, but you're, you're joining the, the club and that may, you know, that may be in someone's best interest and everyone's best interest. So no, and that is, that is big part of our value. I mean, when yeah. you join what we call the Dykema family of clients, you get access to everything. You know, you come to our industry leading conference, uh, you get, um, you know, access to our entire Rolodex. And we know, I mean, we do, we know everybody from the operational consultants to the dental CFO specialists to the dent DSO specific accountants to the best middle market eye bankers to, you know, best marketing and advertising specialists. I mean, anything that is necessary to operate a middle market small DSO, we're able to make those kind of introductions. You know, we know the investors, buyers, sellers, lenders. So yeah, I mean, I don't want to make this an infomercial, but you're right. That is very much a part of the value proposition of our firm. Okay. And then my final question, and I know, I know Craig, we've got a hard stop or, or maybe you can do the last question. But do you hand, I've had a situation pop up recently where it's kind of a merger and acquisition situation in dentistry. Um, do you guys handle stuff like that where maybe there's two groups that want to merge and like, I've just been like, I don't even know if that exists. The service exists like that. Do you guys? Yeah, offer? no, we do. Uh, we we okay. absolutely do. I, I'm doing okay. one right now. In fact, it's a little less common than say, you know, a DSO buying or selling something or a private equity group investing. But I would say probably 20% of the transactions we do are along those along that nature of, you know, some type of straight merger where two organizations are going to join together. I'm, I'm working on again, one at the moment and uh, we do, we very much do do that. Cool. That is cool. Greg, you got anything? Uh, no, Brian, it's always a, a wealth of knowledge when we have you here and I appreciate your valued perspective and your diverse perspective. Um, 
appreciate that you're trying to help the profession in, in your own and way. And this is obviously for someone wanting to learn. This is just the tip of the iceberg. It's a very complex subject. I do want to mention that Brian has a, a the fifth annual DSO conference in Dow is it in Dallas, Brian. It's in Coming it's up? in Dallas, um, July 18th through the 20th. If you'll yep. give me 10 seconds to plug it, Go, July yeah. 18th through the uh, 20th in uh, Dallas, Texas. Coming up in the next uh, couple weeks, um, you know we've got a discount code for you guys if anybody okay. wants to register. It's a little late in the game, but we'd be delighted to have you. It's almost sold out, but for anybody that calls under your discount code, we'll make sure we get them in. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, I, I would have loved to. Uh, you know, I had a conflict, and uh, but I would have loved. Uh, I guess I'll have to come to the, the sixth one. Yeah, no, I heard that. And that's too bad because I love having you guys there. We were hoping we would do a little podcasting. We're going to have a room where we're going to do some of that. But, you know, we'll look for you guys next year. We've already got, I think, like 550 people registered. And I think we're going to hit about 600. So it's going to be a wonderful event. Wow. That's pretty, that's pretty impressive. That's, you know, as someone, we're, we're holding a conference itself and I can, and we're limiting it to 70 people. So I can imagine the logistics with 600 uh-huh. Yeah, you know, um, last year we had a limit of like 400 people and we got 425 registered and we were able to make it work. So this year, I think we've got a big enough room so we can accommodate up to, you know, 650 or 700 people. And we're already at 550 with a little over two weeks to go. So we may push up. I, we're not, you know, the, the space is big enough. We're going to be OK, but we may be we may push up on it a little bit. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we uh, we're, we have a different uh, format for our summit. We want it to be interactive and kind of like mastermind-like. So um, we, we intentionally- You know, I love those conferences, though. I mean, I love those small ones. I mean, it's just our audience has gotten so big. I don't want to yeah. tell people they can't participate. So I think we've gone the way of a, a big event. But I love those small 70. I, I speak sometimes at those. The audience gets to ask as many questions as they want. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are great events. I'm glad yeah. you guys are putting one on. Cool. Well, Brian, I know you're a busy man, and I appreciate you getting on with us. And, and I love how we had a, a, a level two discussion on this. I think it, it builds on what we uh, talked about when, and when Craig was slightly inebriated the first time. Oh, I didn't uh, have any drinks, bro. Oh, well, that was maybe okay, when I was slightly inebriated. We're going to plead oh, the no, fifth on all that. We're going to advise the council. We're going to plead the fifth on all that. Yeah, no, it, was, it was a Dykema sponsored uh, cocktail hours. Right That's why I don't want the liability. We paid for the alcohol. The so I, wasn't I don't know what happened there. <laughs> no, no. I think uh, T-Bone went a little crazy, but other than that, it was no big deal. Um, all right. That's it for us. Brian, have a great night, great rest of the evening. And um, yeah, man, thanks for the info. Thanks for having me on, guys. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Pete. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your favorite podcast source. Check out BulletproofDentalPractice.com for video interviews and text BULLETPROOF to 345-345 to stay connected to us for special announcements. Have a great day.